This is Life I Swear, where we share stories and reflections from Black women about trials in their lives that have helped them heal, connect, and process. Every week, we hold space for storytelling that both challenges and inspires us to be good to ourselves. I'm your host, Chloe Dulce Livueso. Since 1968, the Folgers Poetry Reading Series has brought hundreds of distinguished poets to read from their work on stage. A new virtual poetry writing workshop titled Shakespeare's Sisters, Say Her Name, will be led by poet and Folger poetry coordinator Terry Cross Davis and poet and author Kim Roberts. This workshop explores the poetry of Black women in America encouraging workshop participants to write responses to esteemed poets of the contemporary moment. The workshop will be offered in two four-week sessions and courses will run virtually on Wednesdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, now through December 1st. To register, visit Folger, F-O-L-G-E-R dot E-D-U slash Shakespeare's dash sisters. Terry, welcome to Life I Swear. Well, thank you, Chloe. I'm really happy to be here. And I really just love the title. Yeah. <laughs> I've fallen in love with your perspective on certain topics around life, being Black, being woman, being mother in America. And so it's just been so great to connect with you over the last few weeks and to dig into your readings. And just as an intro to who you are and how you use your words to shape your perspective. I kind of want to go on a tour of some of your poems since you've just released your book, A More Perfect Union. So if you don't mind indulging me and um, those who are listening, I would love to just explore, you know, this collection of poems that you've put together on living and mothering while Black in this country. And I've shared this this question with you before. I would love to hear how you respond, but if the country were a person, how would you describe your relationship to it? And I, I caveat because I love how the book is described as an interrogation or interrogating um, of the status quo. I've often thought about the country as a person. <laughs> and I would say my relationship with this country is tumultuous. It's abusive in many ways. And it's in need of reconciliation. You know, it's in need of mediation. And it's in need of reparation, is how I would describe that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just, this is a country, um, there's a, a, a poet and, and a good friend of mine, who, who, Damaris Hill, who, who once said that Black women were this country's, we were this country's first credit card. Mm. And yeah, it hit me like it just hit you. It made so much sense because of the way uh, part of Sequitur Ventrum, the whole idea that any issue of our bodies as slaves, um, as enslaved people would, and then, would then be enslaved too. It made me just think about the ways in which this country has kind of used Black women and not given us our due respect and not given us the platforms that we need to succeed. And 
those are the things I think about. And like, how else can you call a relationship like that except abusive? To break up our families, to, to steal our partners, um, to harm our children, all of these things on a regular basis. Every day we step outside. I think about Lucille Clifton saying, you know, every day something has tried to kill me and failed. And for her to write those words, she lived those words. And that's our lived existence, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's a tumultuous, abusive relationship. I, I want more from it. I want more, I want a loving and caring partner who's invested in seeing me succeed. And the partner as the country. Yes, yes. That's what I want from this country, a more perfect union. And I love how in a more perfect union, you wrote the world will want to wound her, will want her bloodied lip and its kisses. And I've got to prepare her for both. And I really think this hits to the, like you said, the reality and the tragedy that black women experience in the country and elsewhere um, as pervasive as whiteness is, but growing up, did you feel that you were prepared for either or for both? The, the funny thing about those words is I don't know how much we can prepare anyone for right. what they will experience um, living in, in these bodies, um, in this country and with its history. I do feel as if I had examples of very strong women all around me strong women like my mother, like my grandmothers, like my aunts, like my great aunts, like my great grandmothers, many and all of whom I've had close relationships with. So having them as kind of leading the, leading the charge and giving me, you know, feeding me information from the front line mm -hmm. as a child prepared me for the war that I'm going to enter and that I have entered mm -hmm. as an adult, but not all. There are so many circumstances that you can like, like in that poem and like in that poem, baby girl, there's so many circumstances which you can never be prepared for. It's almost a fallacy to try to prepare mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. own daughter. It's dehumanizing. It is, you know, and I don't, I don't know how I can tell her just to be on guard for everything, but yet still be open for love. Mm. And that's, that hurts me that I have to do this, but that I do try. I had so many conversations with her and actually with, with my son because he's integral to this part too. Mm -hmm, you know, absolutely. I, I want to create a man who's a feminist, who protects and is a strong ally for women and for all people, you know, a gender, non-binary, all people who's there for all people. It just hurts your heart because you really want them to have the best that you can in this life, the best you can give them. But you're also aware that you're working with a very faulty machine in this country. And, you know, the whole idea of white supremacy and whiteness, the whole idea of the patriarchy, which I'm always struggling and telling my children, you have to take down the patriarchy. Um, and then the whole idea of misogyny and misogynoir. There's so much to stack in front of us mm -hmm. to get over but yet we managed to do it. And that's the thing I have lined and drummed within both of my children and especially my daughter is the whole idea of resilience. Mm -hmm. like we have a strong culture of resilience. We have a strong culture of people who managed to keep on keeping on. 
and that's what she's genetically descended from and that's what's inside her even if she doesn't know it yet and so that's what I've been able to get across to her I think I love that and as a mother to a young son I'm just curious um, since you have both how are you parenting or messaging um, or guiding your son differently than your daughter? It's interesting. It's like they both are getting the same directions. Like I'm mm-hmm. married to um, a feminist poet, you mm-hmm. know, husband. Mm-hmm. Because we're on the same page about all of these things, the messages keep getting repeated. So my husband cooks. And he remembers, you know, what gets washed way better than I do. Um, So we share all of our domestic duties as much as possible. It's really a matter of whoever's available to do it, does it. So no one person is responsible for any one part of keeping the house afloat. We both do it. We pay bills together, all of this. We share all of this detail. You know, every single cent is shared. And so we hope that we're providing them with a good example of what a balanced partnership looks like. Mm-hmm. We also hope that we're providing them with a good example of what it means to support your partner um, mm-hmm. and have their back for whatever they may want to do um, emotionally, physically, you know, psychologically. We also made a point of having artwork of Black women in the house because mm-hmm. it literally took me, you know, to my early 30s and going to Paris to see a Black woman in art where she was not a maid or an enslaved person. I just felt like that's wrong. And it's it's so beautiful that so much has shifted in like the last you know 13 years that you can now see more images of black women in art um, in America where we're not occupying those two roles. It's, it's the idea that we need to be seen doing a variety of things, that we're capable of doing any and all things. And that's what I wanna show my children. I also wanna show them that black women are beautiful and that that's why we're in this artwork around our house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to show them what it looks like to follow their passion in life, feed them and let it support them. And I've tried to drill all of that into them. And I've also drilled it into them to be concerned world citizens. So all these are things that we've drilled into them. And I hope that we're making two people who we're going to help make this world better because what the point of making children if you're not going to do that I guess right right (laughs) that is really how I feel about it like if I'm we're going to increase this carbon footprint these are going to be two people who stand up for good Mm -hmm, absolutely and in you know this interrogation of the status quo which status quo can mean many things um there's status quo capitalism of misogynistic doings we're really as as black people challenging the system and reclaiming our beauty. And you once wrote, we center ourselves, we love up on ourselves because we know um, we're not gonna get it from everyone. And so we have to do that work for ourselves within our own families and partnerships, like you've just articulated in our own art as well. And so you as an artist, as a, through poetry, is this a purpose you see in your works also as an educator to guide us to love up on ourselves? I do. I do. From, you know, reading Carolyn M. Rogers and Dudley Randall's The Black Poets as a child, 
to reading Nidazaki Shange's uh, For Color Girls Who've Considered the Suicide, mm -hmm. Who've Considered Suicide When the Rainbow is Enough, I feel like our interiority is worth exploring and worth exalting. I feel like we hold multitudes, like Walt Whitman has said, we hold multitudes as Black women in this country. We carry on the culture, we carry on so many traditions, and we carry that seed of life and that spark of life. And I feel like that's important to honor and recognize. The love and support I have received from Black women has given me strength every day of this life. Mm -hmm. I would not be here if it weren't for a Black woman. I wouldn't be talking to you, right. you know, if it weren't for Black women. And I recognize that we see us when no one else does. Even if it's just a head nod in a boardroom, we see us. And that's what I love about us. Yeah, it's an indescribable, unspoken truth that just is without explanation. Some of us don't have those, those early signals of affirmation like your children do. And, you know, I think we're in a wave of revolutionary thinking in terms of our of our worth and our value and unearthing you know historical traumas on our how we identify and it's a beautiful space to be in um, and I want to point to one of your poems um, this poem su suggests revolution as we think about our joy and our self-education our self-healing also being revolution in the book in part of it, you write, America, your teeth have come in and you nip too much. It does go back to the earlier excerpt around how this country has taken full advantage. Um, but I'm wondering what that nipping signifies or how it's felt for you in your personal experience. It really signifies the small and the large roles we have played as nursemaids to this country, to me, from not being able to nurse our own children when we were enslaved and having to nurse the master's children to that kind of nipping, mm. to how we uphold this country now, um, to the roles that my grandmother and my great aunt played, cleaning for hotels and for wealthy white families. We have been the backbone of this country. We've been, like DeMars Hill said, we've been its first credit card. And we've got so little in return for all that we've given, including given our lifeblood, our lives, and our children. We've gotten so little back in return. So when I talk about America nipping, it's a nip that I still feel every day my children walk outside this house because they are mine and they are my blood. And they have nothing but goodwill for this world. And this world is hell-bent on destroying them in some way or some form. And it's a nipping because we have given so much to this country. And we continue to give. It just continues to bite and bite and bite. I wish it were some other way. I am hopeful that people are beginning to see how much harm they inflict on us. I think about that term weathering and just how we have physically internalized so much of the discrimination, the racism, the micro and macro aggressions we have. 
And I just want a different world for us. I want a different relationship for us with this country. And I want to exist in a country where the things that I have been stigmatized and stereotyped for aren't stolen and then exploited by the mainstream culture as beautiful on another body. These are all things in all ways in which it hurts, it nips. You know, um, Bo Derek wearing braids or Kim Kardashian wearing cornrows or it hurts because it's beautiful on everyone else but me. Mm. And it's not like I don't feel that. It's not like I don't think about that every time I look in the mirror and have to beat that down and remember that I love myself for who I am and who I've come from. And I have to think so hard about that with my daughter, just to let her know, again, why I have a house full of artwork full of Black women. So you see that we're worthy of the pedestal of beauty, too. I, I just want opportunities to do these things. I don't want to be constrained or confined to any one quarter. I just want to have all of it open to me. You know, and so those are the ways in which it nips. You know, just that way in which you often feel invisible you feel trod upon, and you feel just abused and neglected. These are the ways in which America nips. And I really wish it would drop its milk teeth and grow up and be a big kid and then move on. Mm. I have to tell you, I have not heard it articulated in such a, a sacred way. I feel like these words are gonna forever leave an imprint on, on me and how I think of it. It is such a, of violence towards Black people. And as you think about the opportunities to be able to express your worthiness, the opportunity to be validated, poetry and art, it is, a, it is a, an expression. You've described your work, particularly in the body of work of Haint, as um, ghosts with bones to pick. And this hit home for me so much, but stories that you just couldn't shake until you wrote about them. But I'm wondering for you, my last question is, what's the biggest ghost or the bone that you felt you didn't have a choice but to revisit on paper and why? In many ways, I think the marrow of many of the bones I have to pick have to do with love whether it's you know parental me loving my children me wanting to have children you know my husband and I we um suffered with infertility for 5 years before my daughter was born and the hurt of that of not being able to have children when you feel like you've done all the things you're supposed to do and then here's the thing that you've been fighting against for so long <laughs> and it's not happening but then also it's the love of self um, finding ways to love myself and that journey, um, whether it was cutting off my hair two different times in my life, or whether it was being a skinny black girl with a big nose who loved to read books and feeling like, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of attention in high school or junior high and what that meant to come into my own body um, in college and what it meant to be seen in college. And then it's also love of my partner too, and romantic love, 
like what it means to, to love a black man in America, which I rarely write about because it's so close to the bone. I can't flay myself enough to get to the heart of what it means to love a man in this country, to love a black man and be worried about him. It's so hard to get to because I rely too much on that love. And it's in many ways the same way I feel about the love of my children that I can get to, but it hurts every time I pick at it because I've realized I can't protect them like I could when they were inside me. And that hurts every time I think it because I just know that there are so many potholes of pain in this world and in this country for them just by the sole nature of them having melanin in their skin, which makes no absolute sense. Um, but it is what it is. So it's love, you know, when, when isn't it love, right? When aren't you looking for some affirmation of seeing yourself reflected, of seeing the issue of your body protected and of seeing you being seen as sacred? So love, I think, because without love, I wouldn't fear things. I, I wouldn't hate things. Without love, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push for all the different ways I want things to change. Because at the heart of it all, I was a congressional page. I literally worked in Washington, D.C. on the House floor mm -hmm. you know, and, and believed in this country and still do. But <laughs> that's a big part. Right. <laughs> it's just yet to prove itself to me. And so, yeah, in the end, I love this country um, because I made it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people made it. America had a good, you know, head start, right. <laughs> credit <Right. money. laughs> with Black people that they didn't have to pay <laughs> or care about their health. So this country belongs to me too. And I love it. And I would never abandon it. But I so wanted to do right by me. And that's only because I love it. And so, yeah, love. Love is the ultimate bone I'm always picking. Uh, Terry, thank you so much. I mean, in a, as much disservice as the country does to Black women, your work is in service of us. And you are a truth teller. You are a historian, a healer, a sacred voice, a warrior. I feel no need to to wrap my perspective around yours because I just want yours to sit with anyone who is listening. Thank you so much. This has been such a, a gift and I am so looking forward to engaging in your work even more, even deeper. And I'm honored to share space with you today. Thank you. Thank you for making the space and thank you for all you do in in terms of promoting black women and our voices and and the healing it does our souls to feel focused upon and to feel uplifted because it is a healing that's the that's the way we make it through this country and all that it inflicts upon us is we have somebody else to hold our hand when it gets rough i have i'm in a collective of black women poets and i can't tell you how instrumental they've been you know during this whole pandemic you know um keeping me sane keeping me loved up on it's it's mutual because like I said, I see you and I appreciate you. Thank, so thank you. you. Yes, I think when we are able to witness 
how women are choosing to live and to heal and to celebrate themselves on their own terms and are more full spiritually because of it, it gives other Black women the curiosity and liberty to do the same. And for that, thank you. We're, we're here. We're in this together. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, there is more. Life, I Swear, Intimate Stories from Black Women on Identity, Healing, and Self-Trust is a coffee table book that builds on the premise of the podcast. On each page, we chronicle the journeys of some of the voices you've heard here, a few others, and myself on living through pain and joy with honesty and unapologetic self-love. This book was curated with the intention to share the diversity of our experiences, the breadth of our personal resilience, and the way in which healing varies between us. With the young Black girls and women in every corner of the world in mind. To purchase the Life I Swear book, visit Amazon, Target, or Bonds and Nobles online. The book releases November 2nd, but pre-orders are very much welcome. Thank you for listening to Life I Swear. You can follow Life I Swear on Instagram. And if you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast fix. And learn more at lifeiswear.com. I hope you join me next week for another episode. In the meantime... Be well, friend. Thank you.